0: To make a donation, visit biblicallycorrectpodcast.org slash donate. And if you enjoy this episode, please like, share, and subscribe. Thank you for your support. Our Gentile Believers Israel, Part 2. Welcome to the Biblically Correct Podcast. Shalom y'all. This is the Biblically Correct Podcast, teaching biblical correctness in a biblically incorrect world. My name is Kevin Jeffrey. I'm a Jewish follower of the Messiah Yeshua, Jesus, and I love teaching the scriptures. In the last episode, I gave my answer to the question of how Gentile believers in Yeshua are connected to Israel. Are they part of Israel? Do they expand or enlarge Israel? Are Gentile believers Israel? And after first looking at Israel's physical sojourners, such as Ruth, then diving more deeply into Paul's olive tree in Romans 11 and the one new man in Ephesians 2, I showed how these scriptures never call Gentile believers Israel. But more importantly, how Gentiles being Israel is unnecessary in order for you to have an equal place in the family of God. That the mystery of the Messiah, Ephesians 3, is that Gentile believers have full access to God are grafted into and become fellow heirs and sharers of the promises of Israel without needing to become Israel. Gentiles don't join the house of Israel, but as Paul says, you become fellow citizens in the household of God. So if you haven't caught that episode yet, you need to stop this one now and go and listen to that one first. That episode, as far as I'm concerned, is sufficient for answering the question of whether Gentile believers are Israel, and for encouraging you, my Gentile brothers and sisters, in your God-given identity in Messiah as the reconciled from among the nations. There are also two other episodes that I did that are related to this topic. Are Messianic Gentiles second-class citizens? And who is a Jew? Plus, we have a mini-teaching on what neither Jew nor Greek really means. So I encourage you to watch those at some point as well. I'll link to all those in the description. The purpose of today's episode then is just to get to some of the material that I didn't cover last time, basically answering objections or questions that some of you may still have about whether Gentile believers are Israel. So today I'll be looking mainly at the Israel of God and not all who are of Israel are Israel as well as some other stuff along the way. And if there's something you feel that I missed or got wrong, my email's at the end of the episode, so please reach out to me with your questions or objections, along with the scriptures to back it up. Okay? So the first thing I want to reiterate today has to do with how the New Covenant Scriptures, the New Testament, defines Israel. This is something that I covered in Who is a Jew, which is that in the New Covenant Scriptures, the terms Israel and Jew are basically used interchangeably. For example, I showed how Matthew refers to Yeshua as both the king of the Jews and the king of Israel, and how Paul would also swap these terms, such as at the end of Romans 9. Another great example is Acts 2, where it says in verse 5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when Peter stands up to speak to these Jews in verse 22, he addresses them as men of Israel, even though they had made pilgrimages to Jerusalem from every nation under heaven. They weren't residents of the land. So in the New Testament, the term Israel always only means one of two things, depending on context. It either means the Jewish nation or the people of Israel, or it's a synonym for Jews who are the remnant of Israel. In other words, it's always referring to the physical people of Israel. So when we encounter the name Israel anywhere in the New Covenant scriptures, that's always going to be the plain sense meaning of the term and should therefore be our default understanding. Only if the context gives us a reason to change that understanding can Israel even have the possibility of meaning something else. And probably the one place where that understanding is really challenged at all is in Galatians 6, where Paul refers to the Israel of God. This is the only place in all of scripture where this phrase occurs. So there's not really anything else to compare it to. And unfortunately, Paul doesn't elaborate on the phrase at all, making it vulnerable to misinterpretation. What also makes it weird is that this is the only time in Galatians where Paul even mentions Israel, and it basically comes out of the blue. The primary audience of the whole book of Galatians, unlike Romans, for example, is Gentile believers. So suddenly invoking the name of Israel right as he's finishing his letter seems oddly out of place. Unless, of course, you believe that the church is the Israel of God. That's how Christianity has historically seen it, that the church or Gentile believers in Yeshua have replaced Israel, making Christians spiritual Israel, or the new Israel, or in this case, the Israel of God. So we can look at this from a couple of angles, but let's start with the default plain sense meaning of Israel, and then ask ourselves, what does it mean for something to be of God? Well, just from the book of Galatians alone, we see Paul using this language to refer to several of gods. We see the called forth or church of God in Galatians 1.13, the son of God in chapter two, verse 20, the grace of God in 2.21, and the promises of God in 3.21. So the phrase of God is giving us more information about the thing it's describing. And it basically conveys that that thing either comes from God or belongs to God. It's God's called forth. It's God's grace. It's God's promises. They belong to him. They come from him. They are of him, carrying his qualities, reputation, and character. So the plain sense face value meaning of Israel of God then would mean the Jewish people or the people of Israel who belong to him, who represent him, who are his people, who are of him. But of him as opposed to what? Israel, the Jews, are God's chosen people, meaning that they're already of him. So in what sense would any Jews not be of him? The idea that there's an Israel that's of God implies that there's an Israel that's not of God, which again, historical Christianity would say is literal, physical Israel, the Jews, whom God has now supposedly set aside temporarily or permanently rejected. But since we've seen nothing so far to indicate that we should understand Israel here to mean anything other than Israel, what could Paul be indicating by adding the phrase of God? Maybe getting some context will help. So the book of Galatians is basically Paul dealing with the issue of Gentiles who've embraced the false teaching that they need to be circumcised and to keep the Torah in order to be saved. In other words, they need to convert to Judaism, making them part of Israel. That's what circumcision and Torah keeping here represent. And this false teaching was being perpetuated upon the Gentiles by Jewish believers, the so-called Judaizers. This is the same false teaching among the believers that they had to deal with at the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. That's what Paul's referring to in Galatians chapter 2 when he talks about how he went up to Jerusalem and there were those there teaching this stuff, whom he characterizes as false brothers with false pretenses, although that's not how Acts portrays them. And Paul says these Jewish believers were trying to bring the Gentiles under bondage, wanting to compel their circumcision. They were troubling the Gentiles and perverting the good news with their teaching. And Paul can't stand these guys, his own fellow Jews. In Galatians 5.12, we find him deriding them and showing his contempt for them and their teaching about circumcision, saying, Oh, how I wish that even they who are unsettling you would just castrate themselves. He was just a wee bit perturbed. Why? Because he knew that by causing the Gentiles to embrace this teaching, they were putting the Gentiles' salvation in jeopardy. That's why he also rebuked the Galatian Gentiles in chapter 5, verse 2, telling them that if they became circumcised, Messiah would profit them nothing. And in verse 4, he says that those seeking to be declared righteous by Torah are cut off from the Messiah. So that's the overall context of the book of Galatians. The Gentiles had embraced the false teaching by the false Jewish brothers, the Judaizers, that Gentile believers had to get circumcised and keep the Torah. In other words, they were misleading the Gentiles by telling them that they needed to convert to Judaism and become part of Israel in order to be saved. And it's these Jewish believers with their false teaching who Paul condemns with his closing remarks in Galatians 6, which then gives the Israel of God some possible context. In verses 12 through 16, he says, As many as are wanting to make a good showing in the flesh, meaning the Judaizers, these compel you gentiles to become circumcised only so that they may not be persecuted for the execution stake of messiah so the judaizers are definitely believers but are teaching and behaving falsely continuing in verse 13 for neither do these who are themselves circumcised the judaizers guard the torah but they want you to be circumcised so that they may take pride in your flesh and for me let it not be to take pride in anything except in the execution stake of our master Yeshua, the Messiah. For neither circumcision is anything, meaning being a Jew, nor uncircumcision, being a Gentile, but what matters is being a new creation. And as many as walk by this rule, peace and loving kindness upon them and on the Israel of God. So given the context of the entire book of Galatians, as well as this immediate context leading up to Paul's blessing of the Israel of God, it's possible that by using the phrase Israel of God, Paul's actually taking a jab at the Judaizers. Because if Paul is inferring that there's an Israel that's not of God, so to speak, then that inference would be aimed at the Judaizers. Therefore, if the Israel not of God are the Judaizers, the believing Jews who teach that what matters is circumcision, then that would make the Israel that is of God the Jewish believers who walk by the rule, that what really matters is a new creation, those Jewish believers who don't make trouble and pervert the good news for the Gentiles. And to put a fine point on it, Paul juxtaposes himself with the Judaizers, comparing their pride in circumcision to his pride in the execution stake of Messiah. And in doing this, he could be including himself in the Israel of God. Now, as I said before, Paul never explains what he means by the Israel of God. So this is just a possible explanation that makes sense of the context, as well as preserve the original, plain sense, face value meaning of Israel. But the reality is, Because Paul is so nebulous about who the Israel of God is, it leaves us with nothing actionable. You can't make a doctrine out of something so ambiguous, not the least of which a doctrine that supposedly says that Gentiles are the new Israel. Nothing anywhere in the whole book of Galatians lends itself to an interpretation of the Israel of God as the church. So while we don't really know who the Israel of God is, because Paul never tells us, understanding it as Paul contrasting two types of Jewish believers actually makes even more sense when you take into account what he later says about his Jewish brothers in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Here he says, For one is not a Jew who is only so outwardly, neither is circumcision that which is only outward in the flesh but one is a Jew who is also so inwardly and whose circumcision is also of the heart in the spirit. Now, I've already taught on these verses in the episode, Who is a Jew? And show that this also isn't about the church being true Jews, because Paul is literally addressing Jewish believers here, not Gentiles at all. So I won't rehash that entire explanation. But understand what's going on here. Again, just as in Galatians, Paul's dealing with Jew Gentile relations. But unlike Galatians, in Romans, he's extensively addressing his fellow Jewish believers. And here in Romans 2, now he's dressing them down for being judgmental toward Gentiles, specifically because Gentiles, as Paul says, don't have the written Torah and circumcision. And he's challenging Jewish believers, again, for taking pride in their circumcision. For instance, In verse 25, he says, For circumcision indeed benefits you Jews if you practice Torah. But if you are a sidestepper of Torah, which is what Paul's accusing his fellow Jews of, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So obviously, he's not saying that they become physically uncircumcised. He's saying that the advantage they have in their circumcision, in being Jews, is nullified by their behavior. And this then sets up verses 28 and 29. Look at what Paul's saying here. He's using that language of Jew and not a Jew, saying that a Jew, a real Jew, if you will, is one who isn't just circumcised on the outside, but whose heart is also metaphorically circumcised in the spirit of Messiah. But a Jew who is not a Jew is one who's only circumcised outwardly, and puts his faith and value not in Messiah, but in his Jewishness. So keeping in mind that Paul uses Jew and Israel interchangeably, what Paul was communicating in Galatians about the Israel of God may have been this very same concept, only in embryonic form. In Galatians, he was referring to the Israel of God and implying that there's an Israel not of God. And here in Romans 2, he's referring explicitly to the Jew who is also one inwardly versus not a Jew who is only one outwardly. And though Christians have historically read themselves into these passages, despite the absurdity of Gentiles being true Jews, which would be the ethnic equivalent of women being the true men to invoke Galatians 3.28, we again see how Paul inventively berates his fellow Jewish believers For their ungracious attitudes and false beliefs toward Gentiles. So, not only does what Paul says here in Romans 2 possibly help us to understand the Israel of God, it definitely helps us to understand what he's saying a few chapters later in Romans 9, when he says that not all who are of Israel are Israel. This is another huge passage that's used to promote the idea that God is done with the Jews. And the church has replaced Israel. And since not all who are of Israel are Israel is, at first glance, a confusing and self contradictory statement, we're going to need a little more context to figure it out. So in Romans 9, Paul's beginning to transition from addressing mainly Jewish believers to mainly Gentile believers, climaxing in Romans 11. And he's starting to explain how important the salvation of all Israel is to the reconciliation and restoration. Of the Gentiles to God, but also how Yeshua is a stumbling block to Israel, yet despite this, a remnant will be saved. And he begins by expressing his grief and pain over his unsaved Jewish people, made even more excruciating, given all the advantages and blessings they've been given by God. Because theirs is the adoption as sons, the covenants, the giving of the Torah, the promises, even Yeshua himself. All these belong to the Jews, Paul says. They are of Israel. Then Paul starts to explain why Israel, his brothers, his relatives according to the flesh, are presently in such an overall sorry state. Though tens of thousands of Jews were already accepting Yeshua as Messiah, Israel as a whole had still not received him. And Paul says, beginning in verse 6, But it is not possible that the word of God has failed meaning that it's impossible that Israel's failure to accept Yeshua is God's fault. For not all these who are of Israel are Israel, nor because they are seed of Abraham are they all his children. So Paul's saying that the reason why the Jewish people in large part fail to receive Messiah is because even though they're of Israel, not all of them are Israel. And even though they are seed of Abraham, they're not all seed of Abraham. They're not all his children. But in what sense can Israel not be Israel or Abraham's seed not be Abraham's seed? How can you be both something and not that something at the same time? You do it by equivocating on the word Israel and giving it a double meaning, just like when Paul said in chapter 2 that not all Jews are inwardly Jews. It's the exact same rhetorical language of is versus not that Paul's already used to amplify and intensify his point. So what Paul's essentially saying here is not that true Israel is no longer physical Israel, that the identity of Israel has been transferred to the church, but instead, to borrow language from Romans 2, he's saying that not all who are outwardly Israel are also Israel inwardly. The distinction between Jews outwardly and Jews inwardly and Israel that is and Israel that's not depends upon whether that Jewish person is fulfilled in Messiah. In other words, Paul's speaking about unbelieving Israel in contrast to believing Israel to Jewish believers. By identifying an Israel that's not Israel, Paul's not just reiterating how heritage and lineage are insufficient for salvation— but is conveying how a Jew who doesn't know his own Messiah is missing the core of who he is as Israel. For all his lineage and birthright and circumcision and Torah keeping and every other advantage he has before God, in his innermost self, without Messiah, a Jew is missing what makes him, as Yeshua says of Nathanael in John one forty-seven, truly an Israelite. By saying not all these who are of Israel are Israel, Paul is again only making commentary on the heart condition of Jewish people, of the people of Israel. He's acknowledging what the prophets spoke about Israel's remnant. He's not communicating anything here about Gentiles at all. In fact, he finishes this thought about the Jewish people later in Romans 11, in the metaphor of the olive tree, calling these Jews who are not Israel broken off branches. The branches are still of the tree, but they've been separated from it because of their unbelief. It's the same thing he's saying here of Israel. They're of Israel, but not Israel. But most importantly, Paul ultimately says that these not Israel broken off branches, that God is able to graft them back into their own olive tree once they receive Messiah, making those who are not Israel Israel once again. Now, I get how this can be confusing. I really do. Because Paul's also saying here that not all who are seed of Abraham are his children. Adding in chapter 9 verse 8, the children of the flesh, meaning unbelieving Israel, these are not children of God. Rather, the children of the promise are counted as seed, which includes Gentile believers. It's the same thing he says in Galatians 3:29. And if you are of Messiah then you Gentiles are seed of Abraham, according to promise, heirs. So if Gentile believers are now supposed to have enlarged or replaced Israel, then why does Paul say that Gentiles are seed of Abraham? Why not seed or sons of Israel? And more to the point, in what sense can Gentiles who aren't descended from Abraham become descendants of Abraham, and why do they need to? The reason is because even though Gentiles aren't Israel, physically or otherwise, they still become partakers of Israel's covenants of promise through Messiah. And the sign of that covenant, initially made with Abraham, is circumcision. A circumcision which Paul says will cut Gentiles off from Messiah. So how does God solve this problem? By making Gentile believers of Messiah, as opposed to sojourners of Israel, and giving them not Israel's circumcision of the flesh, but Abraham's circumcision of the heart, the very same circumcision in the spirit that Jews need in order to be truly Jews inwardly. Circumcision of the heart doesn't make Gentiles Israel because they become partakers of the covenant of promise instead as sons of Abraham. And the key to getting this, is realizing that a son of Abraham and a son of Israel aren't the same thing. The scriptures never conflate the two. So if a son of Abraham and a son of Israel aren't the same thing, then circumcision of the heart doesn't expand or enlarge Israel. It instead allows Gentiles to be counted as sons of Abraham, sons of God and co-heirs of the promise and even God's people. As Paul says, when he quotes Hosea in Romans 9.25, I will call what is not my people, my people. So in the same way that some who are of Israel can be not Israel, Gentile believers who are not God's people can be added to the people of God. But here's what you need to get. Just because Gentiles are now spiritually and inwardly seed of Abraham and the people of God, that doesn't now exclude Jews. It doesn't mean that one group stops being Israel while the other group starts. Because no matter how mixy and overlapping and confusing Paul's language gets, he never goes so far as to call Gentile believers Israel. In the same way that Gentile believers don't need physical circumcision because they're already circumcised in their heart, they don't become spiritual Israel because they're already Sons of Abraham. So, whenever Paul uses the term Israel, it's always to specifically discuss the condition of the Jewish people, never to infer anything about Gentile believers. On the contrary, Paul continually goes out of his way to make sure that both Jews and Gentiles know that even though Gentile believers aren't Israel, in Messiah, they're heirs of Israel's covenant of promise, now also added to. The people of God. So, Paul's statement that not all who are of Israel are Israel is once again not an indication that Israel now consists of Gentile believers, because they're already co heirs with believing Israel, Jewish believers, as sons of Abraham. By using this formula of is versus not, Paul is instead explaining why Jewish people don't receive Messiah. Yet when they do, when they return to God through Yeshua, he will make them truly Israel once again. So what we saw in today's addendum about whether Gentile believers are Israel is that the main proof texts in support of that claim actually say nothing about Gentiles at all. They're discussions for and about Jews and Jewish believers in which Paul is evaluating the kind of Jews they are. Assessing whether they're fulfilling that Jewishness in Messiah. None of the passages we looked at today changed or redefined the default understanding of Israel. In each instance, Israel continued to maintain the plain sense, face value definition as the physical people of Israel or the Jewish people. In the case of the Israel of God, Paul was possibly contrasting Jewish believers with the Jewish Judaizers. In Romans 2, he contrasted Jews outwardly with Jews who are also so inwardly. And in Romans 9, he contrasted believing Israel with unbelieving Israel, Jewish believers with broken off branches who can be grafted in again to their own Israeli tree. So if I were a Christian or a Messianic Gentile believer, given all that we've looked at over the last two episodes, my takeaway would be this. I'm not Israel. Israel is an identity for the Jewish people and it uniquely belongs to them. But this isn't a problem for me because not being Israel doesn't block me from being anything I need to be because in Messiah, I am a son of Abraham, a son of God, a fellow heir, a sharer of the promise. I'm grafted in, tapped into the richness of the root I've become near to God. I've complete access to him. I'm part of Messiah's body. I'm united in his one new man. I'm a member of God's people, and I'm a fellow citizen in the household of God. Claiming the name of Israel only takes away from who Israel really is. Erasing the unique role of the Jewish believer in Yeshua's body and preventing you from seeing Jewish unbelievers need for you to tell them about the one who makes them truly Jews. Calling yourself Israel doesn't benefit you in any way because you've already been given everything you'll ever need to be pleasing and acceptable and one with your Savior. The bottom line is that the truth matters. And the scriptures simply never state that Gentile believers are Israel physical, spiritual, or otherwise. But the good news is that being a Gentile or a Jew isn't what counts. The heart of the matter is that you're in Messiah and you've been fully reconciled and recreated new. Thanks for joining me for this episode of the Biblically Correct podcast. If you like this episode and want to see us make more, then we need your help. Visit our website, at biblicallycorrectpodcast.org to support the work of Perfect Word Ministries and MJMI through your much-needed donations. And of course, don't forget to rate, review, share, follow, or subscribe to the podcast to receive notifications whenever a new episode is posted. If you have any questions about this teaching, or if there are any other topics you'd like to see me cover, shoot me an email at kevin at perfectword.org. That's kevin at perfectword.org. Until next time, remember that every scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching for refuting, for setting a right, and for instruction that is in righteousness, so that the man of God may be fully equipped, having been completed for every good act. Shalom.